Well, grace and peace to you again, church and family of the Lord Jesus. Uh, It is a joy to be able to be discussing and sharing with you from God's word, especially as we continue in this series on life in the body. Um, There are many distinctions, as hopefully you've been been watching these last few weeks, of what it means to be part of the church family. And uh, as we sit in the midst of our quarantine, as we kind of endure this together, uh, there may even be hopefully a a longing all the more to see the fullness of the body restored uh, as we hopefully will begin gathering together, uh, Lord willing, next Sunday. And so uh, this is the last time as pastors will give too much direct staring into the camera, uh, even though we will live stream next week. Um, But we are looking forward to seeing you. Uh, We're looking forward uh, to being uh, together once more. And I wanted to to start uh, with our little theologians. Uh, This morning, we we especially are longing for you. There aren't any real little theologians, not littlest of theologians uh, here, and uh, we miss you. And uh, this morning, we're going to talk about encouragement, how the church and how the life in the body is about encouragement. And uh, I want you, as you're thinking about that this morning, little ones, if you're able to draw or do a picture, if your parents will let you do that, uh, would you consider drawing a ripple, a water ripple? You know what that looks like when you, when you take a rock and you throw it into a pool or a pond and uh, there's a big splash and, and, and the rock doesn't float back up, does it? The rock goes straight down, uh, but, but you see the effects of the rock. Uh, you see the, the waves uh, in every direction going out on the water. And uh, the bigger the rock, the, the more waves, the more ripples you feel and you see. Um, and, and so if you would draw that, and I'm going to reference that at the end uh, of, of the sermon, but if you would think about what it means to see a ripple uh, or draw that. Well, uh, this morning we're looking at a topical uh, sermon through the, the topic of encouragement. As we think about this, our primary ver- text is going to be from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 9. So let me read it to, to us this morning, and uh, you can follow along. It says this, this is God's word, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we approach your word, we seek to learn how we might be encouraged and to encourage others. Would you help us by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit? For you are the great encourager, the helper. 
And Lord, there is no human wisdom that can satisfy our hearts, so we need you, and we need your truth, your grace, your promises, so lead us through your word, even now, that we, our hearts might be refreshed and that our lives might be prepared to face the challenges that lie ahead, as well as the challenges that lie inside of us. We thank you for your faithful love and your enduring grace. We ask these things in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, has this past week made you exhausted and weary? This has been an exhausting week for me, and I know it's been that way for our pastoral staff. I know it's been an exhausting week for many of you. House problems, frustrations with jobs, church family members that are in the hospital, family members with brain tumors, parents struggling with dementia, masks in 90-degree weather. That's not pleasant. And there's the general weariness of the ongoing quarantine and being surrounded in our neighborhoods with persistent reminders of the tornado's devastation. I know some of your children, even my children, get, get very nervous when they hear thunder. They're afraid. And it hurts the soul to see them that way. And as Pastor Jones mentioned earlier, the weariness of the national news, the, the horrific video of George Floyd and his death, and the subsequent protests, many of which have been peaceful, but some of them have led to great rioting and military deployments, tear gas in our cities. I read this from a friend last Wednesday. He wrote this. He said, anyone else been on a roller coaster of emotion over George Floyd's death. I felt sickened by the video and have indignation towards bully cops. I simultaneously understand the anger between the riots, and I also feel super upset over the rioters. If you've been paying attention to the news this week, you've likely felt the same way, like you've been on an emotional roller coaster. It's painful and it's hard, it's confusing, it's filled with emotions. I was reading a, a book by Dan Allender and Larry Crabb, and uh, even way back in 1984, they wrote this. They said, people are hurting more deeply than we know, and they are hurting more deeply than they themselves know. Sometimes the pain is so great in our hearts and in our lives, the affliction so overwhelming that we resist the pain, and we don't know what to do with it. And so we busy ourselves or we numb ourselves. We don't know how to live out in a world that's full of pain. And sometimes we live in great fear. And when everything seems to culminate with the brokenness around us, we don't know what to do. But we know one thing. We know we need encouragement. We need comfort. We need help. And what we need ultimately is the God of all comfort, the God of all encouragement. And he gives us encouragement. And he gives the world encouragement. And he gives the world encouragement particularly 
through his church, through his people, who he has directly encouraged by his grace and mercy. You see, as, as God's people, life in the body, God's people are, be, are to be people of encouragement, people of comfort, so that the world would know the comfort that God brings as he sees his people encouraging one another. In the midst of such wearisome sorrow, we must be a people of encouragement. And there's two parts of that. If this were to be a two-point sermon, we would look at, at, at how we must be a people who are encouraged, and we must be a people who encourage. But what is encouragement? What does the word mean? Well, the Bible uses many different words that we translate into the English as encouragement. All of them have nuanced meanings. Uh, But the one that that we're going to look at this morning is the first encouragement that's mentioned in our text from 1 Thessalonians 5. The primary focus uh, is is going to be on that. Uh, Verse 11, it says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Now this word, it, it translates to English as encouragement, but the word in the Greek is parakaleo. And it comes from two Greek words that are kind of mashed together. It's a Greek compound word. Uh, para, which means around, and, and kaleo, which, which means to call. To, it's a kind of, of, uh, of compound word that, that, that when we put it together, translates to, to literally something like to be called beside, uh, or to come alongside another person. But it's also a complex word. It's developed over a history of the language of Greek. Uh, Much like earmark uh, doesn't mean we mark an ear, or piecemeal doesn't mean we're eating part of a lunch. Um, it's, it's a complex word. It's a word that, that, that talks not just to, to uh, the idea of calling next to or being some, coming alongside someone, but, but to strengthen, uh, to, to comfort, to walk uh, beside someone in their afflictions. And so as we think about what it means to be a people of encouragement, We have to understand that encouragement, first of all, it comes from the Lord. How does uh, God bring encouragement to us? Well, we see that God brings encouragement in his identity, by his identity. Now, moving outside of Thessalonians for a moment, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians, the very opening uh, few verses, verses 3 and 4. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Father of mercies and the God of all parakaleo, of all comfort, is how we translate it in the English, who parakaleo us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to parakaleo those who are in any affliction with the parakaleo with which we ourselves are parakaleoed by God. Comfort that we've received from the God of all comfort that enables us to comfort and encourage and enables us to be comforted, uh, others to be comforted by God himself. Now notice a few things about this verse, about what it means uh, to be a God of all comfort. 
it's implied within this verse that we are going to endure great pain and hurt. We're going to suffer, sometimes in extremely painful ways. And the answer to that pain is, is not to suppress it. It's not to cover it up. And if we harden ourselves to endured afflictions, we will never find encouragement. And some of you know what this means because you, you over time, perhaps even from a young age, have sought to share your afflictions and were mocked for it or dismissed, maybe by a friend, maybe by a parent. You may have been told that your afflictions weren't as bad as you were making them out to be or, or maybe you learned from a very early age that no one seemed to want to engage your pain Sometimes it was even because it was too painful for others to experience. But what Paul is saying in this passage in, first, in, in, in 2 Corinthians is that God never treats our afflictions lightly. He never dismisses our pain, and he never issues a sarcastic word or a word of sorrow about our sorrow. He never tells us to simply get over it. Paul tells us that he is the God of all comfort. He's the God of all encouragement. It's in his identity. He loves his creation. He loves his world. He loves those who he's made. And he listens to our pain. He listens to our afflictions. There are more psalms of lament in the Bible than any other kind of psalm. Why? Because God is a listening God. God cares about what we go through. And the first place of encouragement that we find from God is our ability to pour out our sorrows and our, our pain before him. And see, God wants us to know him as a, a paraclete, as an encourager, as one who engages our pains. In many places we see this, but we particularly see it in Jesus' own words. Uh, we see it when he talks about the coming of Holy Spirit. In John 14, 26, he says, But the paraclete, the helper, the encourager, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. He says it again in John 15, 26. And he says it again in John 16, 7. Jesus repeats that the Spirit is the paraclete. He's the encourager. Because God doesn't want to stay far off from us. God wants to be near. He wants to be engaged in our lives. It's the promise of Emmanuel. God with us. Coming down into our world. To be present. To be with us as a man of sorrows. Psalm 34, 18 says this. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. God does not stay far off. He draws near, and his presence tells us that we're never alone. Even when it's easy to be tempted to wonder where he is, even when we are overwhelmed with our struggles, all who call upon the name of the Lord, are never alone. All who call are turning, turning in need to a God of all comfort. But we also see God brings encouragement by his work. 
As we turn back to 1 Thessalonians, we look at the beginning verse in verse 9. If you look with me there, it says this, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the first clause in verse 9, it it sounds a bit startling for us. The wrath that, that Paul mentions here, what's he referring to? Wrath feels scary. How can we find encouragement in the wrath of God? Well, in Scripture, God's wrath is presented as the active anger of God. It's poured out over sin and ultimately poured out over wrongdoing. A sin which causes brokenness, injustice, hatred in the world. But like a loving doctor who's treating a body that's riddled with cancer, God zealously works to remove all traces of what's wrong in his beautiful world. And this does terrify us. It is scary because we know we're sinful. And when we're honest with ourselves and with each other, we know that we have contributed to the hurt, sometimes because of our own hurt, sometimes in our own silence. And we know that what we have done, we've not done enough to promote what's good and righteous. But then Paul tells us in verse 9 here, that God has not destined us for wrath. Instead, we're, we're to be recipients of the salvation that comes by faith alone in Jesus, who died for us. The Apostle John says it this way in 1 John 2.1. He says, My little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have a paraclete, we have an advocate, a legal partner who's come alongside us with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the one who stands with us, who calls us to himself to be the advocate, to be the encourager. And I've heard people say to me, well, I must be going through what I'm going through right now because God is a little bit angry with me. I must have done something or that God's punishing me in some way. But that's not what the word of God tells us. Jesus, the legal advocate, the righteous one is our encourager. And because of his death, Paul says in, in, in verse 10, because of his death, he received the full wrath of God. The bill is paid. And as we read in Zechariah 13:9, those who call upon his name, he will answer, they will be my people. They will say, the Lord is my God. We are not under the anger of God when we are in Christ Jesus, who bore the wrath in our place. This is the great encouragement from God, that the more we know the depth of our sin, the more we see the fullness of what Jesus has done for us in the salvation that he brings. God is more than just protecting us from his wrath, though. He will end the afflictions in this world. Suffering is not our ultimate end. And as we look in verse 10, it says and continues, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Now, now, Paul has used this language before. 
And earlier in 1 Thessalonians, uh, he uses it as a metaphor, that awake and that sleep, as a way of referring to those who've gone before and and who are living and then those who have died in Christ. And it could mean that that's what what Paul's referring to. But if we look actually earlier in this chapter, uh, Paul makes reference to, to how those who are sleeping are not paying attention. Uh, they're not, they're not uh, he, says, he says the phrase, let's not be sleeping. Uh, and and he, he uses in this word awake in the Greek, he says, let us be watchful. And it, it's almost as if what Paul means in verse 10 is that we should be aware and watchful for what God is doing, paying attention that he is actively moving in the world, even though it's hard to see because, because of all the brokenness and all the pain the subtleness of the work of the Holy Spirit is engaged in the world. And we cannot be discouraged or lose hope because God's mission, his zeal, his wrath is being poured out from all ungodliness, on all that's what's wrong in the world. We should be watchful and see how he's working, but it's almost as if Paul's saying in this passage, even if you are asleep, even if you can't see because you're so consumed by all that's being being said on the news and all that's going on in your heart, even if you're overwhelmed, God is not asleep. He hasn't grown silent. He's on mission. He is going to be faithful to what he has set out to accomplish. So even now, let us be watchful. Slow our hearts down that we might see how he's working in the world, praying that God would give us eyes to see how he's building up his church, how he's faithful. And this leads us, as we see God's encouragement, to understand that we must be people of encouragement as well. We must encourage one another. It begins by being that recipient of grace. The God who encourages us, the God of all comfort, helps us. He gives us strength to encourage us to parakaleo, others. But let's again look at that word parakaleo. Again, that word in verse 11, it's an active command, it's an imperative. It comes as the active way of responding to God's great mission in the world. God saves us from his wrath so that we would reflect him and reflect and image him as we encourage and strengthen, as we build along and come alongside people. And this means that that we will experience the encouragement of fellow Christians uh, as we are drawn into the character of God. And the character of God will be made known more as we present that encouragement in the world. It's why it's so painful when we're hurt by other believers. We need to guard ourselves from that. But the active command to, to encourage means that we will have a shared life with one another. Christians cannot live in isolation. We were made and meant to be in community. And and this is what we miss in quarantine in many ways, as we live far off from each other. We're made to be be known by one another. It means that we're calling uh, to, to someone. It means that we're actually pursuing someone. Encouragement to call beside, you know, it means that that we examine it with our, our words what we're saying to one another. You see, words pass by us all the time. You know, we watch them in shows, and we read them in emails, and we see them in very strange fonts on Facebook. 
Um, and we don't think much about words, but our words matter. Just as God brought all things into existence by the power of his word, our words have an effect on people's lives to turn them towards life or to turn them towards death. This is Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Sometimes we need to discern what is needed to be said, not what we want to say. The words we use can flow from one of two motivations. This is Dane Ortland, who's a pastor and writer. He makes this point. He says, our words that come out of our hearts and out of our lips, they come from either the motivation for myself or the motivation for another. And so all of our speech is fueled by either self or by love. This means we must slow down to examine our hearts, to be mindful with our words to even withhold our words when appropriate and to silently be beside someone in their hurt. Our words carry weight and power. We cannot use them lightly. Pericaleo is to call beside. The imagery here is to pick someone up who has fallen to endure the same sorrow or affliction as another. We must be people who seek out those who are hurting, who are struggling. Whether we understand their struggle or not, this really is beside the point. Encouragement means that we are actively willing to engage the afflictions of those around them, to build them up. One theologian put it this way, Real godly encouragement is through the, sol- the careful selection of our words will encourage, will influence another person towards growth in the Lord. It should be constantly on our minds. How are our words encouraging others to grow in their walk with Jesus? To have more hope in his coming return? To be satisfied with him You see, these words and this presence that we are to to exhibit as Christ is present through his spirit with us and loving actions in the world, they can lead people to life in in the Son of God and our Savior. One pastor put it this succinctly, this this is just basic. Um, He was telling a story from his own experience. He said he was watching his son run a race. And uh, when he watched his son, even though his son might not have been running the fastest and he clearly might not have been winning, he would always yell, don't give up, hang in there, keep going. Even when his son had to limp to the end. And he wouldn't dare have thought to say to his son, well, you look tired. Maybe this, this sport really isn't for you. Maybe you should try something else. And so the pastor continues, and he says, Yet how often do we tell a young teacher in our Sunday school classes, when is our regular teacher coming back? And we don't think about it. But sometimes our words can can cut to the core of our hearts, 
our struggles. We must be aware of how we can come alongside people, strengthen and build them up. The last thing I'll say about encouragement, last point or sub-point, encouragement means that we will lay down our lives for others. Jesus says in Luke 17, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. At the heart of our encouragement is the disposition of our hearts. As we consider the Lord's encouragement that he laid down his life for us, we must consider how we are to lay down our lives for others. And yes, sometimes it's with our words. Sometimes it's with the proactive presence of being near someone. But it will always come at the cost of our own lives. Sometimes it's time and resources, but usually those are the easier costs. We may not truly understand what it means to endure the afflictions of others, but when we seek to lay down our lives, our will, our understanding, even our pride, to love those who are hurting, we are bearing their burdens with them, especially when we can't ever know the depth of how much their affliction hurts. Many of us have been shocked by the tragedy of the death of George Floyd. And we want to know how to respond. And I can tell you right now, I, I often feel that exact way. What do we say or do? Hearing or speaking to a few of our African-American brothers and pastors this week, they gave out a few encouragements for us to consider, to contemplate in our own hearts how we might respond or encourage them in what's happened. Three things these pastors have mentioned. First is to lament. They said that they need brothers and sisters to lament alongside them. To use this as a time of, of faith and repentance in the Lord. And for each one of us to examine in our hearts how we've sinned against God and against each other. And presence. They need brothers and sisters to befriend them, to seek them out, to go to them in their office, on their homes. Care for our African American brothers and sisters, even if we don't understand the depth of their sorrows. Listen. Engage them in conversation. Seek to learn. And pray. Pray for our nation. Pray for the cops who killed George Lloyd that their hearts would be found forgiven in Christ. Pray for our communities to be healed and restored, to emerge stronger in the gospel and the encouragement by the power of the Spirit. Because only Christ can accomplish this. But He does work through His people as we lay down our lives for one another. As we see the work of Jesus who laid down his life for us, we seek to lay down our lives, our wills, and demonstrate a humility that can be very hard and very painful. It means that only God at times will know the willful acts of sacrificial love that will reverberate through his people as we set aside our pain, our fears, even our afflictions for the sake of others.
getting back to that ripple. Michael Card, a fantastic musician, he describes this in one of his songs. It's a song about the Apostle Peter called Fragile Stone. A fragile stone that's been shattered is kind of the image throughout the song. Shattered by the love of Jesus. And he paints this picture of the ripple in the water. He says this, a stone, this is talking about Peter, a stone that is dropped in the middle of the water will vanish and soon disappear. You won't see it any longer. But the waves that move out from the center will soon move out and reach everywhere. 1 John 3.16 By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to be a people of encouragement? May we seek to lay down our lives for one another as you have laid down your life for us. Lead and bless us this week to use our words, our presence, our actions as vehicles of blessing and life for the world that so desperately needs your encouragement. We pray these things in Jesus' name.